I'll be in the lobby after the service uh, to just answer any questions or tell any stories if you're interested. I want to say um, greetings from uh, one of your not-so-far-flung families way over in the metropolis of Rollsville. Um, we are so thankful for Northwake. I love this place. I absolutely love this place. Just being able to, first of all, being, being able to show up and just put on a microphone and speak is kind of nice. We're used to setting up everything every single week at the high school there in Rollsville. And so it was kind of nice. It was just a, sort of a relaxing uh, morning here. So... Uh, but so thankful for North Wake and the way you guys pray for us, love us, continue to partner with us, support us, and encourage us. Uh, if, you don't, if, you, if I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is Ed Martin. Uh, if I have met you, my name is still Ed Martin. Uh, but uh, let, me, let me tell you a little bit about my, my crew. This is my uh, family. They're the ones that really hold this thing together. We've got an oldest son, Micah, and Caleb and then Haley, and then our little baby, sweet Annie. And uh, the one in the middle is uh, really the one that holds it all together. Uh, that's my beautiful wife, uh, Katie. She's my hero, and our heroes are ours, our uh, heroes. So they're, they've been out of town for the last six days, and so I've been miserable without them. Just a lot of frozen pizzas uh, without them. So I'm very excited to see them come back this afternoon. Uh, so, uh, when I came to Northwake, I got here uh, years ago when I was 24 years old, and I knew everything. <laughs> and uh, I just started seminary, and I'd been married uh, a whole two years, and so I knew everything there was to know about marriage. I had zero kids, so I knew everything about parenting. Uh, I had worked at a couple summer camps in ministry. I worked with Drew Ham at a summer camp in Shelley Ham. And so I knew literally everything there was to know about ministry through those different summers of summer camp and really church life in general. And so I was so thankful to come to North Wake and just North, for North Wake to be just hashtag blessed to have me, you know, so that I could just tell them everything that uh, I knew about all things about life, love, and other mysteries. I was very gracious that Northwake humbly uh, welcomed me and men walked alongside of me and really broke me down and taught me how much I didn't know. And uh, this is an incredible place. If, you are, if you've been visiting for a little while and you're kind of on the fence and you're not sure if you're going to stick around, uh, I can say this because I'm not one of the pastors here, stick around. Stick around. Make, make a wise choice. This is an incredible place to be. People will walk alongside of you, help you understand how much you don't know, how much you need to know, and really how to live and thrive in life. And so, so now I've been married for 15 years. Uh, I've got four kids, as you saw. Uh, I've got a few years of ministry under my belt, and now I really know that I know close to nothing. So uh, with that being said, uh, I'm going to preach today. So we are in uh, Hebrews 10. Uh, this is an incredible passage. This is one of those places where really the book of Hebrews kind of takes a turn, um, as Daniel mentioned earlier. You've been studying for the last, I don't know how long, that Jesus is greater, right? And you've been going Hebrews 1 through 9 all this way, and we've kind of start, uh, started to touch into Hebrews 10 a little bit, but it's been a lot of theology, a lot of uh, the theoretical, and now this is this is the day where things start to shift and it starts to get really, really practical, which is really good for me. I'm not that intelligent, so I'm just like, so what do we do? What do we do with all this? And today, if you're a doer, today it starts to get into this is now what we do. And so how do we live this thing out? How do we actually live it out? So let me read for us uh, Hebrews 10. This is 19 through 25. 
It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. Father, how desperately we need this. God, for most of this week, we have operated as though we're in charge. God, we confess that this morning, that Lord, we can come into a place like this and lay it down, open your word, and just listen. So Father, I pray that you would still our hearts this morning, condition our hearts to the application of the word. We don't deserve it, but yet you give it to us. I pray that you would speak to your people and your servants that are listening. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So the first word here is therefore, so that the always the obvious question is, what's the therefore, therefore, right? And the therefore is there because of all that you've been doing in the book of Hebrews leading up to this point. It's saying, we have confidence in these things which you've already talked about, which y'all have already studied, that is most true. Jesus is greater. Jesus is, is the greater priest, right? Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater sacrifice. Jesus is greater than all. Jesus is all that we need. He is our all in all. So it says, therefore, brothers, and again, that's important, brothers. So he's speaking to, to those that would say their life is in Christ. So if your life is in Christ this morning, he's speaking, the author's speaking to you, saying, therefore, brothers, because of all that that's true, since, he gives two, two senses here, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So he's saying, you've got to understand these two things first. This first thing, that since we have confidence to enter, it's the song that we just sang, right? The song basically preached the sermon. It's saying, because he has opened a way, he has made an entrance. And Jesus says, all are welcome, Come. Come in, if you, if you go back a couple weeks and listen to Benjamin Quinn's sermon, it's this finished work of Christ that opens the way, that gives us an entrance, opens the door. Then it says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. So Jesus is not only the curtain, but Jesus is the priest. Jesus has made this entrance open for us. So I just wanna do this really, really quick, just to kind of set the tone a little bit for this morning. I just wanna stop here a little bit and just say this to brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ this, this morning. He says that we have confidence. This morning, do you feel like one who is, who is confident? Who's confident in the way that you approach life, is confident in your faith, is confident in something that you hope in. I think most of us, if we're honest, have a real lack of confidence. And that shows because we're constantly wondering if what we did or what we do will be good enough. Think about it. 
Think about how much that flavors and shapes everything that we do and how we approach every day. We're a people who are constantly looking for favor. You're probably thinking, no, that's not me. It is. It's us. We're constantly looking for favor from the outside, from family, from friends, from a boss, from coworkers, from teachers. We're constantly asking, will they like me? What I bring to the table, is it enough? Do you ever feel that? What did I choose to wear this morning? What will people think about that? How did I choose to walk into this room this morning? Who did I choose to sit beside? What will people think of me? Will people put and show favor to me? This really does direct a lot of what we do. And so this morning, I just want to speak this over us, that maybe, maybe you're in a place where you just feel tired. You're tired of being left out, right? You're tired of being overlooked, People are never showing you favor. And I just want to say this, that you'll never find enough favor out there. You'll never find enough favor out there. You'll never find a greater favor than you will in the presence of God. At Exchange, we're working through uh, the Psalms this summer. And uh, Psalm, Psalm 5, uh, man, these words just wash over us if that's where you're at this morning. Uh, Psalm 5, verse 7 says, But I, this is David speaking, he says, Through the abundance of your, this is God, of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you, and then jump to verse 7. It says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So David's saying, I through the abundance of your steadfast love, not because of what I'm bringing to the table, but because of this overflowing abundance of love and favor that the Lord directs right at you. He says, you have found favor. You have found favor. You cover him with favors, with a shield. I want you to experience that this morning. I have, I don't know the majority of you, but I know there are people in this room this morning that are just constantly living this exhausted life of what will people think of me? And God says, let me tell you what I think of you. Not because you're lovable, but because I'm loving. Because out of the abundance of my love, I have found favor in you. And so as Tim Keller says in his little, little uh, book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, he says, um, the verdict is in. Right? The verdict is in. Court is no longer in session. I think a lot of us live as though the jury is still out on us. What will people think? Will I, will I be yes or no? Guilty, not guilty. The verdict is in. Just let that wash over you this morning. The verdict is is in. Court is no longer in session. The jury is not out. You have favor. And this morning, if you're, if you're not a brother, if you're not a sister, if you're kind of exploring this Christianity thing, you didn't grow up in church and you've come to North Wake, just trying to figure this thing out, I want you to hear that, that the entrance has been opened. And you have one who's standing there and his name is El Roy. El Roy means the God who sees. Think about that. God sees you, like you know you. I don't know you like you know you. You don't know me like I know me. I know me. If you really knew me and you saw me, all that I am, 
you would not walk toward me. You would walk away. But we have a God who sees all that you are. I'm talking everything. Yesterday, remember that thing? Remember last week? Remember that thing you said to your spouse? Remember that thing you said in your head that you didn't say to your spouse? He sees all that and yet he moves towards you and says, I know. I know. So when he says, when the writer here says, since we have confidence, what he's talking about is we have confidence in knowing that the verdict is in. The verdict is in, and so we can walk in confidence, not because of what we bring to the table, but because of what he brought to the table for us. And so because of those two senses from in verse 19 through 21, he says, now let us do three things. Let us do three things. And I just want to walk us through those three things this morning. Very, very simple text. It says, uh, the way I've put it is, let us draw near without swagger. Okay, let us hold fast without swerving. Let us consider without selfishness. So let us draw near without swagger. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we draw near this presence of God. We've already mentioned this. The door is always open. And because this is true, then we don't just say, God, thank you so much for that. Now I'm gonna go do my own thing. It says, we have this opportunity not only to come in to the presence of God, but to continue to do that every single day. Multiple points throughout the day, he says, draw near. I'm the God who sees. I know it all, but I still want you to draw near. And so the writer here is saying, brothers, let us do that. Let us draw near. And there's a manner in which you, you do it. You do it with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with hearts that are sprinkled clean, with bodies that are, that are washed with pure water. And it's interesting. Just the one thing that really stuck out to me, I wasn't really expecting this, but the thing that stuck out to me in studying this over the past couple weeks um, is just the way in which we draw near to God. There's a way in which we draw near to God. And just remember this. You can draw near to God because he drew near through Christ and drew you near. Okay, the only reason, the only way that you can draw near to God is because Jesus drew near and drew you near. And so there is no swagger in front of the Savior. You know, swagger is kind of a, a, a popular term now. And my, my son is going, going into middle school, so he just got deodorant. And he got this deodorant that says it has extra swagger in it. I'm like, what does that even mean? How, how is this swagger? I'm like, but I'm really thankful that he uses it. Um, <laughs> but there's no swagger in front of the Savior, right? Because he's saying, he's the one that brought you in. He's the one that brought you in. You didn't, you didn't do a whole lot to get here, but it's the, it's the loving nature of God that's loving the, un, the unlovable. Um, imagine this little scenario with me. Uh, at Northwake, I imagine, uh, let, me, let me do this. If you, at some point, within the next year, you're, you're going to have a baby. Raise your hand. Maybe you found out you're pregnant right now, or maybe I'm spoiling it for everybody. That is so surprising. I actually expected 50% of the people to raise their... <laughs> their hand this morning. Uh, North Wake is populating uh, Wake Forest. Um, so, 
But just imagine this. Imagine within the next year a baby is born. Maybe you've had a baby before. And let's, let's just say this baby can speak as soon as the baby's born, okay? And so you go through nine months of pregnancy. You go through all of the, the labor. Imagine this baby comes, and everybody's excited. Everybody's cheering. And that baby just comes out, and that baby says, boom! <laughs> Check it out. Did y'all see that? Did you see what I did? Nine months, baby. Nine months, I crushed it. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Look at my little puffy eyes. I am it. Did y'all see what I did? And then when you kind of say, hey, hey, bro, listen, listen, what's, what, what's that, little, that little thing, that little tube coming out of your belly there, bro? I don't know. Forget that. No, that's nothing. That's nothing. Forget that. Forget that. You say, listen, man, like, I know you think you're something. I know you came in this world with swagger, but that little cord right there is literally the source of life. That little cord right there is the thing that has kept you alive for nine months. Without that thing, you're not here. And so I want that thought even to haunt you and encourage you daily when you stand in front of the mirror and you see your belly button, whether it's an Audi or an Innie, I'm not judging, but I'm just saying when you see that in the mirror, you think, I am a dependent person. There's no swagger that brought me into this thing. And it's the same way in our relationship with God. He, in his love, drew us near. And so he's saying, draw near in such a way where there is no, no swagger. We are a needy, needy people. You know, when Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branch. Don't get those backwards. Without that cord, you got nothing. There's no swagger before the Savior, only submission and dependence. And I think if we approach him, I think if we draw near to God, then we draw and we, and we understand that, we understand that, that it is this cord, it is this thing that has drawn us in, it is because of him. I think that changes the way we draw near to him, doesn't it? If we stop thinking, well, of course God would love me. You know, God's just honored like I was when I first came here to Northway. God's just waiting for me to meet with him in the morning. He needs me. And I think it changes the way we meet with God if we get rid of this swagger. It changes the way we meet with him. It changes the way we pray. It changes the way we serve. It changes the way we study. It changes the way we gather in this building together. Say, I, I get to be with him. So that, that little baby, what that baby should do, when the baby comes out, it says, no, 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 don't, don't look at me, don't look at me. It's her. Look at mom. All eyes there. Nine months, she ate the right things. Nine months, she trusted. Nine months, she did all of this for me, and she labored. Don't, don't look at me. Look at her. So even as we draw near to God, I think that changes the way in which we do it, and it changes our desire to do it, to meet with God on a daily basis. So we get to draw near the one who saved us. And so we do that in submission. So we draw near without swagger. And then verse 23, we hold fast without swerving. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering or without swerving. For he who promised is faithful. So we're holding fast to this confession of our hope. And this is a tricky statement here because we're not holding fast to our holding fast. 
Does that make sense? We're not holding fast to our holding fast or even to our faith. You would almost expect it to say faith here, but it says hold fast to the confession of our hope. So really the thing that we draw near to him and then we cling to, the thing which we white knuckle is our hope. That what? That for he who promised is faithful. The thing that will hold us in this is his ability to hold So I am holding fast to his holding fast. You think that's a very different way of approaching the Lord. It is. It is. And it is about time that we as people get rid of our swagger and start holding on to the confession of something that he will do and promises that he will do. You know, y'all have already talked about this in Hebrews 6, that hope is the anchor for the soul, right? Anchors are kind of the thing now. I don't know if you have noticed that. Go to, go to Hobby Lobby. There's like an anchor section. People love anchors. We have so many anchors in our house. It's like a naval shipyard in our house. I don't understand it. But there's, there's anchors on the back of cars and on shirts and all this stuff. It's because we live in a culture of people who are just scrambling for something to hold on to. That should tell us something. And typically, the culture's saying, cling to self. And we have become our own anchor. So maybe this morning, that's, that's the thing that penetrates deep down into you of, you know what? When I swerve, when I, when I waver in my faith, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm drifting back to me being in charge. I'm drifting back to any and everything but him being faithful the faithfulness of God. I'm really drifting back into how can I control this thing? Do we have any control? Dare I say freaks in the room? You're listening to one of them. You know, and so we drift back into this thing of like, maybe I could just work harder. Maybe I could just find better solutions. Maybe, maybe I could just find favor in other ways. Maybe I could work harder to, so that more people can actually approve me and give me likes on Facebook or whatever. Or maybe we drift into this things will get better kind of mentality. And before we know it, we're worshiping at the altar of the good life. Life will get better. I don't know if there's necessarily a promise in that. I think we need to worship at the altar of the good king, not at the altar of the good life. And we trust and we say, God, you're faithful. What you choose to do, I will embrace it. So what keeps you from swerving, from wavering is holding fast to his faithfulness, trusting that he will do what he promises that he will do. So the author here is saying, let us draw near without swagger. Let us draw near without swerving. And lastly is this. He says, let us consider without selfishness. He starts to list these things in verse 24 and 25. And he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and how not to stop meeting together. You're saying continue meeting together, right? And then, um, and then he says, um, and encourage one another. And so he's saying basically three things, saying stir up, meet up, lift up. You can write that down. Stir up, meet up, lift up. And so as people, this is where this sermon gets extremely practical, so I'm a, I'm a church planter, and so one of the things we don't have is a big, a big budget and a lots of line items where we can just do lots of events and that kind of thing. So what we have to do is it's actually pushed us back to this verse and say, listen, what's our role in this church? What is your role in this church? You know, I'm not really asking like where you're, where you're serving. 
I'm asking, what is the particular things that God is asking you to, to consider doing that may not even require any kind of big money budget? But what are some things that we can consider? And here's, here's, what, I, here's what I believe. I believe that now God has welcomed us into this love relationship with himself, which is unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable that God would welcome us in. Maybe I just know myself. And it's so much fun. Man, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're just exploring church, this idea of community and getting to rally around others is so much fun. You know why? It is the best thing for you. God knows you so well and he knows that your default position is just me, me, me. Me. What can I do that's best for me? So he and his wisdom puts us in this collective community to, so that we can start to consider things beside ourselves. And it doesn't take a lot of money and it doesn't take a lot of genius. It just takes some creativity and some thought, some deep study and thinking. And I just know that when I'm, when I'm in community and I'm just thinking about myself, church is exhausting. Church can be the most exhausting thing imaginable. Because I walk in a place like this, did anybody talk to me? I didn't really feel welcome this morning. I don't really, I'm not really getting much out of that sermon. I didn't agree with 1% of it, so I'm going to write the whole thing off. I don't know, North Wake, I'm just not really getting much from it. It's exhausting this turmoil of just thinking that you are the center of the universe and everybody needs to flood to you. He's flipping it on its head here saying, let us consider how to look outside of ourselves. That is what you were made to do. And so us in a church plant, we say, okay, let's, let's think through. Let's use some intentionality here, hyper-intentionality here. I want you to study. I want you to literally get a whiteboard, get a, get a pen. These things still, still work. I don't know if you knew that. These Get a pen and paper and write things down. Look at the people around you and start thinking, how can I encourage them? How can I stir them up to love and good works? Let's take a minute out and start thinking about creative ways to do that. And so I would say your role, I mean, I, you know, obviously there's so much appreciation for all the different roles and, and study serve things, all the service roles that are happening in this church. Uh, I know there's a lot of kids to work with in this church. But what I'm really talking about here is your, your role without a title. What's your role in this church without a title? And I would say your role is to consider. Everybody's role in this church is to consider. To actually take some time and to think about how, what are the opportunities to minister to others. In the book Trellis and the Vine, Colin Marshall and Tony Payne, they say this. They say, the opportunities for Christians to minister personally to others is limitless. I don't know. I came to North Wake. I couldn't really find a way to plug in. I couldn't really find a way to serve. Limitless. Whether there's a title or not, the opportunities to serve your brothers and sisters in this place is limitless. So this is where it gets really, really practical, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of break this down with some ideas for us, okay? So if you take notes, now's a great time to do that. Uh, the question is this, do you come to church or do you go to church? Do you come to church or go to church? There's a big difference between coming and going. Going 
implies there's some type of purpose, some type of mission, right? So just imagine this. Imagine I wake up in the morning, and I know it's, it's early on Sunday morning, but imagine maybe on Saturday night, you start thinking, man, tomorrow, tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's the day where I put that intentionality into practice. It's not about me. I'm going to start intentionally doing some things that could really change people's lives. And some of those things might be this. Again, this is stir up, meet up, and lift up. What if your particular role in this place was to be just a handshaker? What if you started thinking, okay, tomorrow at church, this week at church, I'm going to pray through, I'm going to think through, who are three people that I'm going to connect with? Three people maybe that I just haven't talked to in a while, that this week I'm going to engage them in some meaningful way. I'm just going to tell them I'm glad that they're here. Maybe I haven't talked to them in a while and I just need to greet them. Is that, is that a role on, on the study serve board out there? No, no, no. It's every believer, every brother, sister in this place start thinking through. Maybe my, my, my task is to intentionally talk to just three people and then maybe you bump that up to four. And so you're on a mission, man. You're just like, have you, have you seen Tony? Have you seen Tony? Have you seen Tony? Yeah, he's over there. Okay, I'm going to talk, talk to him because that's my mission. I'm going. I'm not coming, hoping that the world will serve me. I'm going and doing what God has asked me to do. Maybe your role is to be a front door. How many front doors are there at North Wake? Well, there's really one, but I would say there's hundreds of front doors here at North Wake. You know, it is our job, it is your particular task and joy and privilege to be the person that welcomes somebody else to make you feel the way you felt when you first came in or the way you didn't feel when you first came in. Think that's a task, that's a job, that's a role. Consider how you might do that. How might you be the front door? What if you're a listener? What if your particular role is to listen? Do I listen to people? Like the next conversation I'm gonna be in, I'm not gonna be thinking about the next thought that I'm gonna say after they say. I'm gonna wow them with my eloquence or wisdom after they speak, but I'm just gonna listen to people. And while I'm listening, I'm gonna pay attention to how God is working in their life. And then on the backside of that, encourage them. Later on, you follow up and you say, you know, I see God working in you. Those six words changes lives. I see God working in you, and this is how. Man, the thing you were sharing about that step of faith you're trying to take, that's really exciting. And I just see God working in you. Can you imagine that changes lives? Is that a role? Is that a title? No, but that's intentionality to consider how to live unselfishly. What if you're, you would consider yourself a, um, maybe you're a singer. You're like, well, I don't sing. But maybe the Lord is saying to us, does it matter how we sing here on Sunday mornings? I think it absolutely matters how we sing. I'm not talking about quality. I'm talking about if you start to understand what you're actually doing. Think about this, where Daniel and the team here, they sing and they're pushing these words, these truths. I mean, the stuff we sang this morning, that stuff is fuel for the rest of your week. And so for us, start saying, but I can't really sing all that well. It doesn't matter. Just put it up there. Sing over your brother and sister. There's this canopy of worship and praise over each other this morning. Say, that's my role. I'm going to help build the canopy this morning to spur these people on, to stir them on to love and good works. If I don't exactly know the right counseling, at least I can sing the words that they can hear that then they can use and take throughout the rest of their week. Maybe it's even just where you sit. 
This is so practical, just where you sit on Sunday morning. But I've sat in this seat. They might as well put a plaque on that seat with my name on it. I've sat here for 20 years, and nobody better dare touch my seat. What if you just looked around, you walked in the morning and said, what's, the, what's a strategic place to sit? I don't know what the answer is to that, but what's a strategic place to sit? Maybe you see somebody that's just by themselves, or maybe you just want to sit by a family. Maybe it's one of those three people you wanted to talk to. Just, again, be spirit-led in the simple decisions of what it means to go to church. And obviously he's saying, don't neglect meeting together. You've got to keep doing it. Build rhythm in this thing. Maybe you're a prayer, right? Maybe during the service, during the sermon, you're listening for yourself, but you're also thinking about other people. Maybe there's a point in the, in the sermon where you just think, man, I've got to start praying for this person right, right now. What if this place was built on the prayers of each other? I'll, I'll say one thing. I'll put this on myself. In my time here at Northwake, I was a young um, I was a young married man, uh, didn't have any kids at that, at that point. And if I could go back and change one thing, I'd go back and change one thing about the way I was a member here, it, it would be this, without a shadow of a doubt. I would have led my family to make the decision to commit to monthly corporate prayer. I feel a lot of shame in that. I was a pastor in training. That's absurd. And we came to corporate prayer when it fit our schedule. And basically, I was telling my, my family, I, I don't, we don't need prayer, nor am I that interested in the needs of this body. But I sure want that place to love me well. And so I'm putting that on me, and I just want to challenge, I can say that because I'm on staff here, they're not paying me to say this, I'm just saying there's something important about committing to corporate prayer. When the body rallies together and says, this is what we value and this is what we're going for. And so make that decision now, don't make that decision on Sunday afternoon. You make that decision now, so when that week comes up, you say, oh yeah, we've already made that decision, we're going we're going. Or maybe your role is to be just a, somebody that a, appreciates things. You know, maybe, um, maybe we need to stop listening uh, to sermons in such a way as we're the critic, right? And we say, well, I've taken some classes in preaching, and I would have done it this way a little bit differently. I don't know if I agree with that 2% of it. Nah, I'm not sure. I'll write the whole thing off. Maybe we need to take the 98% that we did agree with and encourage the people. I got this letter a couple weeks ago from a member at our, our church. It's in cursive. Okay, he uses a pen. This guy's like 25 years old. He wrote this letter to me and he put a stamp on it and it came in my mailbox. And I opened, it wasn't a text message, it was a letter in little yellow legal paper, right? And he wrote this just saying like, I'm just so encouraged by what's happening at exchange. This thing meant the world to me. This is a treasure. Maybe, maybe you're not the person who stands up here on stage, and maybe you're the person that can just click the pen and write letters to each other. Paul did it. Right, so that's how we go to church. That's how we be uh, the church. There's intentionality in doing that. You don't need a title. Now, let me just um, give this one little heart check that goes along with this. You might say, what if I've already been doing this for years? 
Or what if I go all in on this thing and nobody pursues me? What if I travel my whole side of the road and nobody travels their side of the road? There might be a chance of that. You never get a letter in the mail. Does that mean you stop writing letters? And I don't think that's, that's the point. I think the point is he's saying, let us consider you do you. You be faithful in what God has called you to do, and you will begin to create a culture in this place. It's those little things that are culture builders. Watch your heart on that. It's never going to balance out. You do you. You be faithful. So the point is this, that everybody in this church needs everybody in this church. Everybody in this church needs everybody in this church. Think about that. Isn't that just amazing that the Lord has invited you into a place, and you look around this room, and supposedly there are all these brothers and sisters whose eyes are on you, who can spur you on, who can lift you up, who can encourage you, who can love you. And then you have this opportunity to get outside of yourself and to love others. This is exactly where God wants us to be, and that's why he says, don't neglect meeting together. This is where life happens. So maybe this morning, just a couple things. Maybe this morning you realize that you've approached God with just too much swagger. And God has really just penetrated your heart on that. And you need to come to him this morning. You need to draw near and say, God, I I confess I've approached you completely the wrong way. Or maybe you've become your own anchor. You're hanging on to some controlling thing, some thing saying that it's it's my work, it's my... Um, abilities, it's me being in control that I'm really holding on to. Maybe this morning, this is your act of worship. Just letting go of that and saying, I'm holding fast to your faithfulness. This is the anchor for my soul. Or maybe this morning you've realized through just practical ideas that you've made the church about you. And you need to confess that. God wants to draw us near You know, it's a miracle, like we've said a couple times, it is a miracle that we can come near to God. This door is open, and as the writer here says, let us, let's do this, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for, um, God, that you you see us, (laughs) and yet you draw near. You see all of us, and yet you draw near. I wouldn't do that. God, this morning, it is no doubt that you have work to do in the hearts of your people. And so, um, Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our swagger. God, convict us of our, of our controlling nature and us becoming our own anchor. God, um, Convict us for thinking that this thing that we're gathered to be a part of is all about us. God, let us live in a, in a different way. Lord, and that conviction um, should spur us on to see you standing at the door that says, you're still welcome. God, you welcome the unworthy this morning. So as unworthy ones, we come And we draw near to you as you draw us near. Christ, we love you. So thankful for your word. How it challenges us. How it trains us toward righteousness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.